Heavenly Father, open up uh, the words and deeds of your Son, Jesus, to our hearts and minds that we might understand, believe and live by them. We pray in his name. Amen. So today I want to talk about the glorious way that Jesus provides. Weddings are big occasions, full of ceremony and significance, full of emotion and new beginnings, full of social expectation and obligation, full of fervent hopes that everything will go well. And when weddings go wrong, it gets remembered. I don't know how many stories you have, but... um, the time the bride got stuck in the lift on the way down to the car to bring her to the service. She was stuck in the lift for 40 minutes. This happened to my sister-in-law. I remember it. Or the time the best man made his speech and then as he walked away from the microphone, tripped and fell flat on his face in front of everybody. I remember it. It happened at a friend's wedding. The story from our wedding that uh, gets told is that um, the keys to the car we were supposed to drive away from the reception in, which was all decorated with cans and shaving cream, were left, you know, half an hour drive away. And so what ended up happening was the bride, my dear wife, drove that car with just married on it on her own (laughs) away from the reception after everybody had left. It was... A sad and sorry sight for those who saw her driving down the road with me in another car behind. These things, when they go wrong at weddings, they get remembered. And Jesus was at a wedding that threatened to go wrong, badly wrong. A catering disaster loomed. And Jesus' mother pointed out the problem. They have no more wine. Now, this is bad news. The groom was responsible to make sure there was enough to eat and drink at the wedding. And to fail in this duty of hospitality meant embarrassment. It meant even real shame. On this day of all days, when you and your bride are going to leave a social mark, this is not what you want to be remembered for. You don't want people saying in 20 years, oh, Reuben and Rebecca's wedding. Oh, yeah, they ran out of wine right in the middle of the feast. Ouch. This is not what you want. But Jesus is going to avert this catastrophe. And I want to step through the action of John 2, 1 to 11 in three parts. Firstly, Jesus' conversation with his mother. Secondly, his rescue of the situation. And thirdly, what the disciples took away from this. Now, Jesus' conversation with his mother, which uh, is early in the passage, it, it signals his consciousness of his mission. Like many conversations in the Gospel of John, this conversation is not perhaps easy to follow. Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, what is Mary meaning to say? Does she expect Jesus to do something about this? Certainly, Jesus' answer suggests he thinks that's what, exactly what she is hoping. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus certainly means to make it clear that he is not going to act because Mary is nudging him to do something. Why do you involve me? And Jesus gives a reason why he is reluctant. He seems reluctant to get involved. My hour has not yet come. Right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is conscious of a coming hour, a a decisive hour, an hour where his life will reach its climax and its goal. Later in John's Gospel, we discover that this hour that he's talking about is the hour of his arrest. 
of his trial, of his condemnation, his crucifixion and his death. Now, strangely, Jesus regards this, uh, these events, these terrible events, as the hour of his glorification. In John 12, we read Jesus announcing, finally, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Uh, Jesus' hour is the hour he falls to the ground and dies. But his glory is that in dying, he gives rise to many new seeds, much new life and harvest. Jesus makes decisions about how to act in view of this hour, this destiny, this coming moment. And he seems to think that it is not at this wedding time to act. Now, very surprisingly, Mary acts as if he has says, as if he had said, sure, I can help. Not, I'm not going to get involved. Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, i.e., wait for it, he's about to act. And instead of restating his reluctance to be involved, Jesus gets involved. Perhaps the point of this is that Jesus is happy to help as long as it is clear that this is not to be some public coming out which draws him into the eyes of society and propels him into public events. It's not time for that. And so Jesus does act to rescue the situation, but, and here's my second point, Jesus, when he acts, he rescues the situation in a kind of behind-the-scenes way that is not widely known and yet is generously rich and abundant. So verse 6, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And so perhaps the thing most emphasised about these vessels is how much they all hold. For in addition to whatever was already in them, Jesus says, fill them up, fill them to capacity. And so we have 80 times 6, 480 litres at a kind of lower end, but 120 times 6 is 720 litres at a higher end. There's something between 480 and 720 litres of water here in these vessels. Let's split the difference and say it's 600 litres. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And so now we have 67 cases, nearly, of wine, just like that. This is a generous wedding gift. We are not going to run out of wine, after all. In fact, I'm guessing there will be plenty left over for later use, even for sale. You could cover the cost of this wedding with the sale of the leftover wine. And not only is there quantity, there is also quality. The master of the banquet called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This wine was much better than what they'd been drinking to date. And so this bridegroom, instead of being jeered at for being unable to put on a proper wedding... 
is being slapped on the back and said, you're a dark horse and you've done yourself and your family proud here today. But who knew how this came about? Not the master of the banquet, not the groom himself. Jesus did a very shy miracle here. Only the servants knew and those close to Jesus, his mother, his disciples, probably even they didn't stand there watching the servants work and see this unfold. This was a discreet act. The human bridegroom fails and is threatened with shame and disgrace, but Jesus amends that failure. He provides by the power of God what human power could not provide. But he does it in a way that the helpless bridegroom gets the credit and not him except among this small circle of disciples and servants. So let's think thirdly and lastly of what the disciples took away from this. I think that the disciples saw this shy miracle as a quiet sign of Jesus' glory. John says in verse 11, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And we might reflect on what kind of glory this is. It's the glory of wonderful gifts given to save the day. We don't know why the wine ran out at this wedding. Was the groom you know, disorganised? Was he stingy? Was he squeezed by poverty? Did the supplies he ordered fail to arrive? Were they lost or stolen or spoiled? We don't know and it doesn't really matter. The point is the happy couple were in a bind. They were facing disgrace. And Jesus' glory is that he rescued this bride and this groom. They lacked, but he provided. They were failing, but he came in and supplied what they needed to succeed. The way Jesus did this gave credit to the bridegroom, even if the bridegroom may not have deserved it. Who knows? And all of this, this kind of action, is a pattern of Jesus' bigger work. The generous provision made for not just this bride and this groom, but for the whole failing human race, for us. For you and I, who cannot do our duty. We are like that wedding couple. When it comes to it, we can't deliver. We can't deliver what we're supposed to. We can't meet the expectations we're called to meet. Not the expectations of society, but the expectations of God. We are too weak. We are too poor. We are too powerless in our sinfulness and our wretchedness, our waywardness. And as we approach the judgment seat of God, the moment where we have to put it all together and show that we're competent, we're capable, we're good enough... People are going to whisper, the wine has run out for that poor sop. They are about to get exposed, ashamed, shown up. But Christ's glory is that he provides richly so that the acts that we might fear as we go to judgment with our inadequate lives, that axe never falls. The exposure never comes. We discover that in place of our lack, Christ has given his plenty, his righteousness for our waywardness, 
His body given for us, His blood shed for us. In this first quiet but wonderful miracle, we see the glorious way Jesus provides for the improvident. When they saw this, verse 11, his disciples believed in him. They liked what they saw. They trusted in his power. They were won over by his grace and rich generosity. And this is the aim of John's gospel, to tell you that such a man walked the earth, who could do such things, who did do such things, And to win not only your attention and your curiosity about this man, not just those things, but your belief in him, your trust in him, your heart, so that you might know and follow and learn from and be provided for by Jesus, God's one and only Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way your Son revealed his glory in this shy but wonderful miracle of provision, that he averted the shame of this couple. And we thank you for the way that this indicates his big work, the way he went to the cross and gave himself to avert our shame, our failure at the judgment seat. We thank you for his rich provision of himself, his righteousness for us who cannot be righteous on our own. We pray, Lord, that this would indeed win our, our faith, our trust, our hearts, and that we might learn from Christ even as he provides so richly for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.